Proverbs 21. Tonight, Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. You'll notice the final two verses in this chapter. Mark it down, another chapter down. Maybe. After tonight, don't hold your breath. It's a long service. Proverbs 21, beginning in verse 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom you give us here in these two verses. And I pray that we would receive it as the word of truth, as the word of God, and delight ourselves in the truth that you're proclaiming to us here. I pray that you would help me, that I would open the word to your people uh, faithfully, I pray that we would receive the word and that uh, we would uh, be grateful for what you've given us here, that we would order our lives by it, that you, your wisdom would rule over us and that we would respond wisely to what you say. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Many times in the history of mankind, it seemed that that Christianity and perhaps even God himself would be overthrown. There have been many times in history where, humanly speaking, it did not seem as if the Christian faith would survive through another generation. Many times, I say. This is something that... uh, I think every generation has had to deal with the fear that it could all die. Now, no doubt Rome believed that they would crush Christianity and exterminate all Christians. And the Christians that were hiding in the catacombs probably thought that it could very likely die with them. But where is Rome today? I mean, the city's there. But the empire? No one thinks of Italy as a dominant world power. Many have given their lives in martyrdom and died at the hands of evil men who desired to bring an end to the Christian faith and killed Christians in order to do that. Science and the public universities believe that they can drive all traces of religion from our brains by means of facts and reason and education and that if they can simply have their shot at all of our kids that they will be able to crush Christianity and certainly we live in a dangerous world we don't want to just turn our children over to the world and secularism for indoctrination Sometimes Christians can become discouraged enough to think that the gates of hell may, in fact, prevail against us. But what does the Lord say to that? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder. 
and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. I say, Winston Churchill once said that there is nothing more satisfying than to be shot at without result. <laughs> and um, there, for the world, there has to be nothing more vexing than the ongoing relentless assault on the Christian faith that not only fails to crush the Christian faith and drive it from the face of the earth, but actually has the opposite result. We have ancient testimony to this truth, the ancient quotation, commonplace, that's been passed down through years and generations that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It flies in the face of the world's attempt to crush and ruin and destroy. And it is, in fact, truth. We see it from the very beginning. The church of Jerusalem scattered by persecution and the effect was not to extinguish the flame but as those um, burning embers were scattered around the world they lit a fire everywhere they went what a wonderful testimony then against the rage of the heathen and how it illustrates the truth of this proverb as well, the proverb makes a simpler, simple declaration, but one that we can lay hold of as a rock of defense and a sure foundation. We don't have parallelism in this proverb, just straight goods, a straight up statement of fact here. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. You know, there are certain verses that would be wonderful to hang on your wall. And this is one such verse. It's a wonderful verse to remind us that we cannot successfully conspire against the Lord. We cannot. <clears throat> the preacher's homiletical had this quote in it. Wisdom is that which is gotten by experience. Understanding that which is gotten by study Counsel that which is gotten by advice. But let all be put in the scales against the Lord. They are but as dust of the balance unto him. For if wisdom be gotten by experience, he is the ancient of days. He was ancient when days began. If understanding come by study, he hath all understanding of himself at once. And the whole world is his common counsel in that, not to give it all, but to receive counsel from him. He is the counselor. Wisdom, we know, includes three categories. Uh, scientific wisdom, knowledge, uh, or truth. Judicial wisdom, 
morality, goodness, and artistic skill or wisdom um, relating to beauty. Man can have a great handle on the facts of science and a great wisdom to harness natural power and turn it to man's purposes. We can have great skill with the law and ability to prosecute what is evil and defend what is good. We can have great power with technology and control many things in our world. There is this looming, growing concern today about AI, artificial intelligence, and the things that can be done with it. And uh, my brother-in-law was just asking me about it last week. Uh, He put in some things and uh, he was shocked. In fact, I read an article about it where a guy wrote in, um, he typed into, there's this AI machine. Now, it's not a machine, but, you know, thing. I don't know what you call it, program. And you type in, and he typed in um, to write an article about um, AI in the style of, and he put his own name in, he is a he is an, um, a writer, newspaper column, columnist. You don't really have newspapers anymore, but you know what I mean. And he said, I was shocked. I was shocked at what it spit out in a matter of seconds. It wasn't even, it didn't take 10 minutes. He didn't have to go get himself a cup of coffee and come back. It was almost instantaneous. He said that his seventh grade son was writing a paper um, and uh, he, they just to try it out, they put in the subject matter for the paper into this AI machine, and it spit out in a matter of like 30 seconds, it spit out a paper that he said would pass on a college level, would be, a, would be quality, probably an A-level paper. Um, he said it's just staggering what you can do. My brother-in-law said that you can, you can get an authentic-looking picture of Donald Trump scaling Mount Everest with a cat on his back from it. The ability to run deceptions in our world is going to increase. And uh, he was concerned about this and wanted to know if I had studied much about it. I had not. I did a little crash course on it. Right then, I've heard about these things, um, but uh, it was interesting. Technology gives us great power to control many things in our world. And the proverb is telling us here, this is something that should be very reassuring to us as believers. We cannot thwart God in any of his purposes. We cannot. No invention of man, no discovery of man, of man's, no no perverting of justice can thwart God and his plans. None whatsoever. Now, last night I commented to my wife that if you spend very much time listening to talk radio, Conservative talk radio, you are likely to go bald very quickly. You're going to pull all the hair out of your head. 
because the stuff that's going on, the shenanigans going on with Donald Trump and what we can expect, especially if the liberals think that there's a chance he might win, the stuff that they're going to throw at him drives us crazy. Remember this proverb, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. None. Yeah, our country has been off the rails for a long time. We're like a freight train trying to run across the ocean. It's, it's not going well. And we see the death of our culture before us. Still, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. There is none. That's what the Bible is telling you. There is none. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't arm ourselves. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be informed. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do everything that we can to push back against the encroachment of secularism and of the world and to maintain and defend the heritage that God has given us in Christ Jesus doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight back, but it means that their efforts are doomed to failure. That's what it means. There have been many wise men who could see and plan and prepare and plot and scheme and execute their plan. And there have been many who have succeeded beyond what we can comprehend. And we learn of uh, spiritual wickedness in high places, do we not? Many have turned their skill and power against the Lord in an attempt to remove themselves from his sovereign control. But they have failed. They have failed. Yes, there is staggering wealth that people have who hate God and are able to insulate themselves against religion and against Christianity and are able to ply their money to pervert our world and succeed at it. And it seems like they are untouchable, but they are not. They are not. They succeed for a time, yes. You know, they can croon at the end of their life, I did it my way. And they did. For 80 years or so, out of all eternity, right? 80 years in the bucket of eternity doesn't even cause a ripple across the surface of the water. But you had 80 years to do it your way. And then all eternity to not do it your way. When they come to their deathbed, they proclaim themselves to be free from the demands of God, free from any obligation to him. And God allows them to carry on in that delusion right up until the instant that they die. They can smugly lay there on their deathbed 
and congratulate themselves that they won. I didn't surrender. I didn't follow the Lord. But in the moment when death takes them, that is gone. That's over. You, you had a good run. It lasted for a little while. And just like that, it's done. God explodes all their delusions because there is no wisdom, nor counsel, nor understanding. I'm sorry, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Understanding refers to logic and reasoning. You may have much insight into the way things are in the world, and you may be very perceptive, able to recognize what's happening, form a, a foolproof plan to counter it. But still, you cannot, you will not thwart God. Counsel refers to the ability to put a plan in motion. Men develop some pretty crafty plans to gain an advantage against the Lord. And we have, in our culture today, developed whole systems um, that really are intended. Our, our country, you have to recognize this, that our country has created a system that prevents people from even needing to appeal to the Lord uh, or come to him because our government is there like the safety net to keep you from any trouble at all and to just give you, to feed you, you know, bread and circuses uh, to keep you amused and entertained and neutralized and so on. We have eliminated our need for God and enslaved men with these systems, made dependence, a whole class of dependence today. We've developed all kinds of blinds and devices uh, to serve as substitutes for God. But though we may flatter ourselves that we have now come to the place in history where God is no longer seen as necessary to life on this planet, where atheists will regularly tell you that, uh, you know, our forefathers, um, our ancestors long years ago needed God to support their superstitions. But now we are past that. We have come to a brave new world where there is no longer a need for God whatsoever. And yet, we depend on God today as much as in any other day. The, the dependence on God has not gone away. It's not diminished. It hasn't shrunk at all. Uh, just as um, I pointed out in apologetics, what Cornelius Van Til said, that uh, the atheist has to climb up on God's lap in order to slap his face because Atheism depends on God for their arguments. They depend on God. Everything that they do depends on God. Everything. And our cry for God is louder, our desperation for him deeper than ever before in history. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. But that doesn't mean that men don't flatter themselves that they found out 
how to live without him. Because they do. You go out and talk to the average unbeliever. He congratulates himself that he doesn't need the Lord. A few years ago when we were um, canvassing up here on in Shadow Valley in particular, I encountered it there as much as anywhere. The conceit that religion is good for poor people, for the ignorant, for those who, you know, the socially inadequate, inept. But people who are successful in life don't need religion. That's the conceit that's very common, not just in our day and any day. Wisdom and understanding in this verse signify the intelligence which enables a person to think and scheme. Counsel refers to consultation with others for the devising and execution of a plan. And John Gill said, no human schemes, whatever, formed with the greatest wisdom and prudence can ever prevail against God or set aside or hinder the execution of any design of his. In other words, God is unstoppable. He is as unstoppable today as he has ever been. Nothing that is pointed against his church, his cause and interest, his truths and ordinances in the issue shall succeed. All that are found fighters against him shall not prosper. Let them be men of ever so much sagacity and wisdom, though there may be ever so many devices in a man's heart, and these ever so well planned, they shall never defeat the counsel of the Lord. Never. Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. What does the Bible say about those who would rise up against the Lord? The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Woe to him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou or thy work? He hath no hands. Romans 9 repeats that. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? God speaks very decisively against those who would rise up against him. So here are a couple of takeaway points. First of all, remember that true wisdom and understanding and counsel, true wisdom and understanding and counsel are not so foolish as to think that they can thwart God. So when the Bible says there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel, against the Lord. It is saying that true wisdom and counsel and understanding would never think of opposing God 
on anything. So if it is opposed to God, it is not wisdom. It is not understanding. It is not counsel or good advice. If you hear someone who is in reputation for wisdom, speaking against the Lord or seeking to persuade against him, mark it down no matter how smart, intelligent they may sound. Their counsel will fail. And that is not wisdom. And I say this because our young people go to the university and they hear intelligent sounding professors make claims against the Lord and they are swallowed up by it. Someone should have told them that there is no wisdom against the Lord. There is no understanding against the Lord. There is no counsel against the Lord. If it's against the Lord, it's not wisdom. It is not understanding. It is not counsel. The wisdom of this world shimmers and sparkles and seduces and suggests that it is wiser than God. Have you ever seen one of those magic acts where they put the person in the box and then they take the saw and they saw it right through the middle of the box and then they take the top half of the box and they move it over here and put it on this table and the bottom half they move over here to the other side and then they open it up and there are the person's legs and then they open this up and there's the person's shoulders and head. Right? Have you ever seen that? And you thought to yourself, oh yeah, that's neat. Right? Man, I love how he did that. No, you didn't. You thought, what's the trick? Right? And I'm saying to you that the wisdom of this world, when it is against God, is every bit the illusion as a magician who cuts a person in half and separates the body parts. It's illusion. And it leads to delusion. Magicians don't saw people in half. Not really. They would lose their job if they did. They don't move the trunk to one side of the room and the head and shoulders to the other side of the room. They don't do that. Even so, men may sound smart, but if they rise up against God, they prove that they are fools. There is no wisdom that compares to the wisdom of the Lord. None. Anywhere. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, the Bible says. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. When they are at their most intelligent, he exposes them as fools. This is why the Bible describes man's wisdom this way. Job 28 and verse 28. And unto man he said, behold, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. That's what wisdom really looks like. And the Bible describes the wisdom of man in terms of the fear of the Lord. The smartest thing, the wisest thing that you can do is live in the fear of the Lord all the day long. That's what will make you wise. 
not being able to string together intelligent sounding sentences in a, in a class of philosophy. Philosophy which the Bible describes as vain deceit. Man's wisdom is only wise in as much as it fears the Lord. And in as much as a man refuses to fear the Lord, that man is a fool. The second takeaway point is trust the Lord, not man's devices. Trust the Lord, not man's devices. A few minutes ago, I pointed out that our culture has developed many workarounds to eliminate our need for God. Credit cards, government programs, counseling and therapy, prescription drugs, all these and more offer us the ability to remove ourselves from God's immediate care and providence. And they're all in vain. All of them. They cannot free you from your dependence on God at all. And they're poor, shabby substitutes for dependence on God. You are and always will be dependent on the Lord. Now take note of several ways the world seeks to shrug off the need for God. Influence. My status with people makes me feel like I've made my way in this world and I don't need God. Knowledge. What I can know for myself independently of God gives me a sense of independence. Worldly policy, which attempts to rid oneself of any experience of guilt or obligation to God by solving the conscience through morality rather than faith and repentance. Pleasure and luxury. When we're rich and increased with goods, we have need of nothing and we don't know that we're poor and miserable and blind and wretched. Obstinance, because the Bible tells us that stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. A refusal to bend at all to the will of God. Now these are some of the systems that the world has put in place, supported, uh, promoted as making you sophisticated. They are against God, and therefore it is folly. Finally, we are wise to commit our way to the Lord and to trust in him. Since there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord, it stands to reason that we need his direction, his wisdom, his instruction, his counsel, so that our way might prosper. Seek his face continually. Because you know that when you seek the Lord, you have wisdom and power on your side. Now, that brings us to the 31st verse, which I considered putting the two together because they really belong together here. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Now, this proverb takes the thought from the previous proverb and applies it in reverse. Nothing you do will overturn God's sovereign will. Period. You either are aligned with his sovereign will or you are opposed 
to it, which means either you are blessed in his sovereign will or you are crushed by it. The stone of stumbling, remember? The rock of offense. Some that fall on it are broken by it and some are crushed by it. But all are affected by it. Nothing you do, you can't scheme against God. You cannot thwart his plan. Nor can you successfully overcome the snares and fiery darts of the wicked one without God's help. Now, nothing in this proverb teaches us against preparing ourselves for battle. But the proverb does remind us that our preparations are vain without the Lord's help. Listen to Matthew Henry on this. Safety and salvation are of the Lord. He can save without armies, but armies cannot save without him. And therefore, he must be sought to and trusted in for success. Now, the proverb sets up an antithesis to say that you can prepare everything else, but if you haven't sought the Lord, you aren't prepared. Okay? And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Now, notice that this is a declaration, a statement of fact that's being made right here. Prepared is a passive participle. The horse is literally being readied. The horse is being readied. And the Hebrew word order is, of the Lord is safety. The margin says that safety can mean victory. Salvation is the idea. Deliverance there. And so Kyle and Delich said that it, uh, it, it read it this way. The horse, the horse, the horse is harnessed for the day of battle, but with Jehovah is the victory. And the point is that all your effort to prepare is good. It's right. It's as it should be. But it is also limited. Your ability to prepare is limited. Our ability to prepare for any disaster is limited. And we need to remember that. First of all, there are things that we cannot foresee and therefore we cannot be prepared for. All right, that's number one. And number two, there are dangers that are too evil and too great for any amount of preparation to defend yourself against at all. And so just as we would be foolish to fight against God, as verse 30 teaches us, we are also foolish to fight without him. We're foolish to fight against him and we are foolish to fight without him as well. The superiority of a cavalry unit against foot soldiers is no guarantee of victory. And if you don't believe me, ask the children of Israel who many times on foot defeated soldiers who were in chariots of iron. Again, you can have the best plan, the wisest generals, and the strongest troops, and you can still lose. Because your best laid plans are no match for God. He will do all his good 
pleasure. So Isaiah 31 and verse 1 says, Woe to them to go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. And even though I'm all for preparation, I believe we ought to prepare we ought to do our best to have the war horses harnessed and shod for battle. I also argue that there is grave danger in preparation. Understand this. Grave danger in having your horse shod and harnessed and ready for war. Do you know what the danger is? The danger is that you trust the horse instead of trusting the Lord. The danger is that you trust your preparation instead of trusting the Lord. It's more important that you spend adequate time in prayer than that you spend adequate time in preparation. Now, this is not an either or. It doesn't need to be one or the other. You can and should spend time in preparation, but don't neglect the time in prayer. The way to put on the armor of God is to maintain the spiritual virtues which each piece of armor represents. Right? We've just finished going through the armor of God. Your loins girt about with the truth. The truth of God's word held by the sincere believer, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the imparted righteousness, the righteousness that God is producing in you that protects your vital organs, right? The shield of faith, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, all those virtues. You keep those spiritual virtues in order And you are protected by them. Okay? But the way to maintain vigilance so that you're not asleep in your armor or lulled into a false sense of security by your armor. The way to maintain vigilance so that you're ready when the assault comes is to pray. Pray always with all prayer and supplication for all saints, right? Prayer. That's what the Bible is saying here. Safety is of the Lord. The horse is prepared. Saddle up. But trust the Lord. And prayer throws yourself on the Lord. And this is what I mean here. And this is where the application is. You do not know what gut-wrenching, heartbreaking trials God has for you in the future. You do not know and you cannot be prepared for it at all. Well, I say at all, you can be prepared. One thing that will prepare you. And that is the time you spend in the word and in prayer. I have come to realize that 
everything that I've taught my kids can be undone in one tragic moment. Doesn't have to be sin. I read about different stories. Aaron Burr stands out to me. Both his parents died. Both of his grandparents on both sides died within a matter of about six or eight weeks of each other. And he was left an orphan. Now, nothing in the history books ever suggests that he was bitter because of that. But everything suggests. I mean, his his um, father, his grandfather on his father's side, Burr, was the president of Princeton, which was at that time uh, a, a devoutly Christian uh, university. His grandfather on his mother's side was Jonathan Edwards. He came from one of the most pious families in America. And he was one of the wickedest men of all of our founding fathers. There's none more wicked than Aaron Burr. We were um, listening to uh, Legends of the Old West um, and uh, one, one bad guy in the West, murderer, started off just quiet, subdued, good guy until people lynched his brother and then um, horrifically murdered his wife in front of his face. And it turned him. And I'm not saying this to excuse anybody, but I am saying to you that there are dangers beyond what we can possibly prepare for. I cannot anticipate everything that might draw my kids away from the Lord. I can't. If I could, I would inoculate them against all of it, but I can't. And on top of that, God can take me away from my kids at any moment. And then what? When my kids were little, I felt a sense of urgency to prepare them. And I would tell them in devotion. Sometimes they would break down and cry. And my wife would say, do you have to do it that that way? I say to them, God could take me away. God could take both mom and I away at any time. And you still have to follow the Lord because he is God. We have to understand this. We must trust the Lord for our children. We must. Because you can, you can tell me how great your family is and how great your home is and all the wonderful things you're doing to train your kids. And I'm pleased. I'm happy for what is happening in our church with our kids. I really am. But I'm also telling you that you cannot stand on what you're doing in your home. 
the only sure ground that we have to stand on is the promises that God has given in his word. That is all. And the only certain defense we have is to go to the Lord in prayer. Pray. Yes, teach your kids, instruct them, correct them, discipline them. But pray. Pray. Safety, victory, is of the Lord. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be unto God. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our